Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Hard Fight History. Uh, I'm your host Joshua Stokes with my co-host Henry Price. Hey, how's it going? Okay, that, am I supposed to say your name, or, or do you, or should I give you? I it always doesn't think matter either way. I think of you have the right as a man to say your name. That's fair. I appreciate. I appreciate that. And a man gonna, has a right to say his own name. How about? Can we get behind all that? Can we? Can we I all think we come can, together and agree? I think, I think we can get behind certain rights uh, of men. Uh, yes. To uh, say maybe, maybe we need to issue a declaration of the rights of men and women, and for this, that matter, and neither <laughs> or both or. And this is our bad way of getting into the part two of the French Revolution. Getting into part two, act one, uncharted waters. July through August of 1789, after news of the storming of the Bastille spreads throughout the country, there's what's known as the great fear in the countryside. Nobody knows. Okay, people know more or less what happened, but they don't know why. So there's plenty of room for speculation. There's rumors of foreign invasion or groups, the, the people think that groups of armed brigands are coming to kill them as well, that there's just this unleashed horde of civilians coming for for them and wherever. They, they don't know that it's kind of limited the Bastille, at least for now. And there are also, in, within the Great Fear itself, there are bands of opportunistic peasants whom are raiding manors and chateaus and claiming to speak on behalf of the king. And there are these assertions of false authority that people are trying to pass off. And just a, a large amount of confusion in the rural areas of France at this time. There's... At this time, July to August of 89, there's debate on the Constitution there uh, and exactly what would composite this document known as the Declaration of the Rights of Man and Citizens. A lot of the issues that they're discussing at this time are whether or not to give the king a veto, exactly how representative whatever legislative body would be issued should be, whether that legislative body should have one or two chambers, and there's also a I don't remember exactly what it was called, but it's the Committee of Public Safety before yeah. the Committee of Public Safety. There was this uh, proto-CPS, so to speak, a committee that could, uh, I think, like search people's mail and monitor who, who like whatever prominent citizens left the city or entered the city, some, something along those lines. They've always, yeah, it's like, a, they've always a, 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 an investigative body. Yes. The, the need for detectives, people. Yeah. <laughs> just keeping tabs. Yeah. You know, keep, just keeping tabs. Don't worry about why. We haven't gotten to why yet. We're just yeah. keeping an eye on everything. The trench coat. Worry, you know? I got my trench coat turned up. Yep. And that's, you know, you know, yeah. One of the things that I thought was most interesting about the Declaration of Rights, especially in terms of like the birth of nationhood yeah is that louis the 16th is no longer king of france but king of the french yeah and so it might sound like semantics but unconsciously there's a very important That's thing big... going on or a concession yes like a very a big, big shift he's king we're we're the french people mm -hmm. egalite right we're now all 
under this yoke together mm-hmm. of citizenship and have been elevated to this point and you rule over us not over the country yeah we're not like a thing that you possess yeah exactly yeah I mean, so it's like a different it's a different relationship yeah they were the, listening, the king- <laughs> they listening to destiny's child and now yeah. they have and now they have all this and now they're just telling you how, how they truly feel about you exactly and how stand yeah. up yeah stand up right <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that's a song from destiny's child stand but okay <laughs> that's not the song <laughs> Lafayette in particular and the National Guard at this time comes into prominence because they're kind of the central column fending off counter-revolution and anarchy. So, I, I mean, we did an episode on Lafayette and I've read it. I've read more about him cursorily, yeah. but it seems to me like this time he's just trying to and he I it seems to me also that he had monarchical leanings yeah for sure yeah but at this time he's just trying to make sure things don't get out of hand on either side like let's just keep everything as calm as possible for now yeah he's not he's not he's he's keeping things calm for now yes he he leans one way yes let's let's let the chips fall let's let the cookie crumble and then we'll We'll piece it back together, you know. Yeah, yeah, but who? Yeah, it's we'll get we'll get to. But who's biting the cookie? It's a lot. That's there's a lot the question. There's a lot who's going. biting the cookie, right? Lafayette's gonna. There's gonna be a whole thing. There's gonna be a whole thing. October fifth and sixth, the night of October fifth and sixth of seventeen eighty nine, the fishwives of Paris charge Versailles because there's rumors that the Flanders regiment, I believe. Uh, they're coming the flanders regiment they're from flanders they're coming back into versailles to like reinforce the king mm-hmm. and so it's another one of these troop buildups and there's these rumors about antoinette that they're 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 throwing this feast in order to host the flanders regiment yeah. and antoinette you know there's rumors amongst the fishwives and amongst the general populace of paris that antoinette is is this is devolved into an aristocratic orgy yeah they have too money and it's all just nothing but decadent pleasures and so the fishwives charge paris also they are uh, yeah they charge versailles rather also because they have food and they're show they're you know they're hosting a throwing a feast for these guys and meanwhile the average people of paris are starving yeah there's the royal bodyguards inside of versailles are a few of them are killed and like again their heads are chopped off and paraded around on pikes lafayette arrives and the way it's framed is that Lafayette is dragged there. He kind of faced a crisis of leadership if he didn't go, because initially he was trying to make sure the National Guard of Paris didn't go to Versailles as well, because I think he feared that something would happen to Louis Sixteenth and Marie Antoinette. But if he, the rest of the National Guard was hell-bent on going, and they were kind of abs, uh, asserting their collective identity of, of, of a body of people saying, hey, we're going to do this with or without you, Mr. Aristocrat. Or, and so he had to go with them, and there's rumors that if he didn't go, he might have even been killed. Yeah. So Lafayette goes, and he talks to Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette, and he says, here are the, here are the claims. Or here, here, here are the demands specifically. 
You guys should move to Paris. You guys should replace the King's personal bodyguard with members of the National Guard. That way I can keep an eye on, situa- on the situation and send away the Flanders Regiment that caused this whole thing to yeah. begin with. About 5 a.m. on the early morning of October 6th, a bunch of women break into Versailles and they're on a hunt for the queen. Again, you've got beheaded royal bodyguards being paraded. They're beheaded and paraded around on pikes. Um, Marie Antoinette is scared for her life. She tries to get her children as well and make, make for the secret passages of Versailles. That way she can get out of there so she isn't killed. There's rumors also that she had help from her uh, her maybe lover, Axel Furson, in yeah. trying to get out of there. He was he was present at the scene. And uh, this is all resolved early morning, October 6th again. Louis Sixteenth. he appears on a balcony, says, uh, we're going to relocate to Paris after all. And there are cheers from the crowd. And Marie Antoinette also yeah. appears with her children and appears basically more like a queen of of france than she ever had before is how it has been framed because the people they went from trying to kill her to celebrating her in this strange way it's also the first time they've probably ever seen her in real life maybe yeah and like then when you actually see the oh this is just some like yeah this is an austrian lady this is a harried mother yeah it's like some austrian lady like who she's austrian right yes yeah she's austrian she's an austrian lady just like it's like a regular person yeah and not like this night this like crazy person from my yeah that that we've seen in the press as this yeah. literal demon and it turns out just know. who just is goblin dicks they're just <laughs> yeah. they just they're just saying she's just goblin dicks she's like a dick goblin monster yes. like, oh, that's just, just, yeah <laughs> this is some lady this is a normal human being yeah this is yeah they treat her like she was they treat her like she was hillary clinton basically <laughs> Yeah, only, you know, you couldn't see her on, on the news. You had no video of her. You just had all of these images of her as a, as a harpy. <laughs> yeah, and the, yeah, except Hillary Clinton has some has some actual things, some policy things. Let's not talk. Let's move on. Yes, yes that, is, <laughs> yeah. that is true. Marie Antoinette, as far as I know, just was purported to have spent a lot of, she did spend a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, she spent cash. Say. She's fucking queen. But she's also, she's also very young. She's also kind of born into the lifestyle. Yeah. Know, it, imagine if Paris Hilton were queen, and but they had no concept of, but wasn't smart. Is that okay, even, I don't want to say Antoinette wasn't smart because she was smart. I, I don't, she, I don't good, know her. Good PR. I have no idea who she is because I've never met her. Anyway, that's, that's, <laughs> anyway, October 23rd of 70, but I'm uh, sorry, the point of the, the Fishwives March on Versailles yeah. is that the royal family relocates to paris and paris is the hotbed uh, it's the capital obviously and this is where all the shit's going down yeah. and they're off at versailles which had been established by louis the 14th specifically to get away from the people and away from all of the activity of paris as this large estate in the country because it yeah. was it was close but it wasn't too close you know what i mean yeah, yeah. and now they're moving back to the center of action where they can be kept an eye on. Yeah. So October 23rd of 1789, the National Assembly issues the Declaration of the Rights of Man and the Citizen. Uh, eventually, they I didn't really get a chance to read a whole lot about it. 
from what I remember, it's fairly accommodating still to the like bourgeois liberal class. Like it ensures a right to own property and also just general liberties like freedom of speech and whatever else. But from what I remember, it's not, it's not as radical as it has been. Eventually titles are done away with, even though many of the people passing this decree had titles themselves so they're kind of stripping themselves again to show that this is not strictly speaking a public reaction against aristocracy a lot it's kind of i don't want to say aristocracy committing self-harm but aristocratic modernization not necessarily class struggle right i mean if you kind of follow the 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 kind of like pattern of like leftist movements from what we've seen like from what i've read to what i've read not anything from you know uh it always starts with like people who are like of the upper middle class or kind of up of the kind of like yeah wealth where they're not they shouldn't really have these opinions but they've learned about them and they're kind of and now they kind of when they take power they kind of try to spread that to the rest of the they try to get people into it and then spread it to the rest of the country. So yeah. I don't know. Maybe they're just, maybe it's just rich kids who went to college for too long. Yep. Stripping themselves of the title. But are that, still young and their dad's yeah. basically telling them like, you don't know what the hell you're doing. And it's like, you're, you're an aristocrat. You don't know what you're doing. I know better. And it's like, you're voting against your own interests here. And it's like, yeah, I've got the interests of the people in mind. They, they haven't had their idealism stripped of them quite yet. Yeah. Not all of them, but the- I don't think they also realize that they're not how much of their status is owed to, yeah, not their own industrious industriousness, yeah. but to yeah. <laughs> I, I get the image the of a bunch of dudes maybe trying to outcompete the other in terms of fervor, yeah, and maybe that can be a through line throughout this series, but like you got a you got a bunch of of hot blooded idealists yeah also men who are just fallible as they are just kind of being like oh you'll go that far playing chicken with each other almost like oh you'll go that i'll go further oh well i'll go further well i'll go even further you know and just sort of this bucking match almost it's against the monarchy and with this specific context around it yeah speaking of there are these new clubs that emerge to that purpose. There's the Society of Friends of the Constitution. There's the Club of 1787. And perhaps, definitely, most famously, there's the Jacobins. Necker, Jacques Necker, comes to the assembly. He says that he explains that the government is still bankrupt and they want to impose a 25% income tax payable over four years on the entire populace and the Marquis de Mirabeau, he denounces it. He says, however, he acknowledges the need to keep the government afloat at this time. So instead he urges taxes on the greatest fortunes. Whose are the greatest fortunes in France at this time, other than the aristocracy, if not the church. It's a, it's a, 
the 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 just the way this phrase like the income tax versus like mm-hmm. income everybody has income including the merchant class like you know but people who have fortunes who have like yeah. wealth that's like uh you know that's like kind of attacking the nobility aristocracy yeah but yeah i don't know yes it's, yeah it's yeah. there's definitely a shift in terms here to where he said necker keeps it egalitarian almost yeah. and he says like this 25% income tax, it is steep, but we do need to keep the monarchy alive at this as he's still arguing in the interests of his employers, yeah. basically. But he said, I know this is steep, so it's payable over four years. And then Mirabeau says, no, we're good. There are people we can tax with more money. Yeah. We can solve this problem faster. Let's do that instead. Because what's the income of somebody who's like a nobility and fucking like what's what's they actually how much I have no money. I've spent all my money on bread. I've been spending all my money on bread for a few months now, about a year I, now, realistically. I don't know. I don't know like the actual nobility, like how like a lot of things about like, you know, the particular details of how they lived with like I know this during this time, this is yeah. during the Irish ascendancy and like Irish people would just like they're like Irish the wealthy class would just fucking they had all their money in their land and like their land speculation and then the titles that they would give on their land, the ability to like rent out their land. And then they would just take like these little bullshit ass, like little jobs in like mm-hmm. the British government yep. for status, but they yeah. weren't worth anything. It was just to yes. get status yeah. And so, yeah, because you want to launder your rep- your reputation or whatever. Yeah. Do that status. But yeah. December of 1789. Uh, the plan passes. It had been kicked around for a while exactly which greatest fortunes were to be taxed and how to keep the government afloat. 400 million leaves of church land was agreed to be auctioned. Yeah. And Talleyrand, he suggests that they read the public decrees, that the clergy themselves read the public decrees of the National Assembly to avoid confusion, to get everybody on the same page. So February 4th of 1790, uh, Louis XVI gives a a speech affirming the work of the revolutionaries. He expresses his wish that the new constitution have a strong executive role. And maybe we can do something along the lines of Great Britain. You know, He's got a temporary alliance with the Marquis de Mirabeau of Provence, whom we've been talking about, who basically wanted the same thing in july to august of 1790 mirabeau is cozying up to the royal family he's taking money from them to pay off his own personal debts and and basically in promise that he would carve out a place for them in the new constitution and in the new nation that he would he I think he viewed them as a necessity. I think he he was want Mirabeau was wanting France to modernize along the same lines that Great Britain had. Yeah. And that meant that we could vest executive power in the monarchy as long as we had a strong legislator as well. There's a role for these these both to play. And if you come out as a reformer and not necessarily hostile to all of the political reforms that the French public is now asking for. Yeah. You can pull this off. True. True. I, it's yeah. It, it does feel a little bit like extortion though. A little bit. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, like you could be the talent. How much he did, believes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, 
Yeah, I mean, the extor- yeah. The extortion, extortion's always it's a fic- of a fickle nature. Yeah, there's a lot to be said. I mean, he could have been the quintessential opportunist. Yeah. Or he could have firmly been a pragmatic political theorist for his age. And he he wrote a lot about like revolutions and and a, a political theory, like even before along some of the same lines of like Lenin and Marx, I believe. Or he kind of like could be both though. Anticipated them. Could be both though. Yeah, for sure. I mean, making making the best of you know, if if you're good at something, never do it for free. You know, he, did, like, like, he paid off his debts with them. So yeah, like, let's, he let's... did okay for him. So he did what he had to. <laughs> and he's he's arguing also in, in favor of kind of this placation of uh, people who were more left than he was. One of his, it's not his most famous quote. It's a quote of his that i really like yeah he says jacobins in the ministry would not be jacobin ministers yeah he's also in favor of a new assembly maybe removing the meetings of the national assembly to somewhere other than paris because he's predicting that the paris assembly is eventually going to reach a deadlock and then if the king appears again in favor of these reforms uh, but also calls for a new assembly and relocation, they can circumvent the Jacobins and the more more militant elements within Paris itself. They can neutralize them and uh, keep a lid on things. On July 14th of 1790, a year to the day of the Bastille storming, you have the Fête de la Fédération, it's this there's a I, there's a cool picture that I'm going to post of it. This is Lafayette's like finest day because he's acknowledged as, you know, leader of the National Guard, one yeah. holding down Paris and making sure that it hasn't completely in, uh, erupted into an orgy of bloodshed and violence and yeah. riots. And, you know, it, it was it was OK. It's been a it's been a rough year of revolution. But Lafayette and. You know, the members of the convention saw us through it as well, but mostly Lafayette. What a what yeah. a great guy, you know. But also, you'll see it in the picture that I'm going to post. Is there's this kind of there's a lot of like oath swearing, yeah, and a lot of physical enactment of the value of egalité, yeah. where like dudes are just kind of coming together in huddles. There's like a huddle. You'll see in this picture that I'm going to post of yeah, a lot of huddles. You know, of like. We are all citizens together, and how to show that other than us just in a huddle, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, it's all about, uh, I like synchronized events also. Yeah, man. I'm the a bros. big fan of synchronization. You know, just coming together, like, it's us, man. There's nothing There's nothing more special than, than synchronizing with your brothers. Collectivity, you know? Co- just you know? Tran- like co- that just transcendence, transcending yeah. the individual and the self and being like, He's getting close. We're the we're the bros. We're yeah, the unit. Yeah. All right, you know, like this is it. That's a God. I should have never went to that camp. All right. <laughs> what comes next? <laughs> you know, you guys got me signed up for this, and then you know, yeah, and then it happens. <laughs> now we're all in matching turquoise short shirts. Then they come for you. you yeah, know, drag you into the night, kicking God. and screaming. Two thousand and four was nasty. It was a nasty time for everybody. Yeah. All right. Bush's Bush runs for re-election, right? Nobody, nobody, 
I had a good time, except for Halliburton. Am I right? Hey, oh, okay. Another thing about the Fed is it's a like a collective outpouring of patriotic fervor. It's this kind of conversion of all this on un- the uncertainty and fear of the past year into outward expressions of of solidarity. We are France. We are the French nation, and that's new, and that's cool, and that's something worth celebrating. So let's do it. The same month, July of 1790, the civil constitution of the clergy is presented to the assembly. This would require that bishops be elected and required to take an oath. I believe that oath is to the nation of France in particular, and this is a real wedge issue throughout France because you're asserting the right of basically French, uh, French nationalism against the papacy of Italy. And like the Italy, I don't know what it's exact. I don't know if it appoints the clergy, but there's still strong ties, including financial and social to the papacy of Italy, even within France. And this would basically require them to say you're loyal to France first, not the Vatican. That's a, yeah, that's like the. I mean that that then like uh, it fucks up their allegiances. Yes. Also, like you know, because I don't. I, there's, there's a lot of these places are uh, not for well, not France is in Protestant. Yeah. But yeah, I I know it was like I was again reading this thing mm. about Irish history, and I know that they didn't like the the Catholics because they you know it was mm. the Catholics would align the Catholics of Ireland would align with the Spanish yeah. against the English. Because mm. they were more aligned, you know, <laughs> under the Pope. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It's so, it's this like the clergy, clerical class is like, yeah, the king's cool or whatever. As long as long as the king of France asserts the right of yeah us to exist, well, we 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 see more the Pope as our king. Like the king secures our material existence within france and we are yeah. french but we're, we're more about the kingdom of heaven than the kingdom of france yeah that's the yeah, i think that's the, the, the yeah the idea then the you know then they yep. have fear yeah yeah yep which, which comes first and now now the national assembly is saying france comes first priests yeah. and it's like uh i don't know yeah a lot of the lands put up to auction by the National Assembly in order to finance the government. They're bought off by well-off bourgeoisie, which makes sense, uh, rich peasants or industrialists. Basically, anybody who had the money, so the, the pre-existing upper crust, yeah, they kind of were the ones who um, advanced the most. They had the most to gain by the sale of church lands they were the ones who benefited the most from this. It wasn't necessarily the underclasses, but just a reshuffling. Yeah. It's a, it's a, what's the massive sell off of uh Russian assets called the privatization. Uh, so Soviet assets or the privatization. I forgot yeah. what, the, the term. The, both, both the waves of privatization that they have were obviously the people who, yeah, that's a, that's a good analogy. That's yeah. A good. And yeah, the people who get it are the people who can secure it. Yep. <laughs> we've got these massive estates that yeah. we've now thrown the people who used to run them out of power they the cost is <laughs> exorbitant yeah who's, who's doing well in the in a period of famine 
Yeah, I'm glad he is. Well, I'm doing okay. There's not going to be a lot of people. Yeah. The parliaments are done away with these judicial bodies to be replaced by constituent assemblies. And there would be elections that would take place to staff these constituent assemblies. So now you've got this legislative body. So there is a democratization taking place. Something else that's notable around this time, around the FET, is that there's merchandising, especially amongst the artisanal class, most amongst the artisanal class. The patriotic spirit of the age is seized upon by artisans who make a bunch of crafts with patriotic displays. You see plates and you see cups, uh, most particularly prints. There's a lot of prints that are sold of like the new national morality and there's a bunch of new values around and they are, are used in part to throw coal in the furnace of capitalism to, to stimulate production, so to speak. August of 1790, the Jacobin membership or the membership in the Jacobin club of Paris is at 1,200 individuals with 150 rural affiliates. And the rural affiliates is basically like a local society would hear about the Jacobin Club in Paris, and they would form their own clubs, and they would write a letter to the Parisians, and the Parisians would send basically some nerd out to the rural affiliates to be like, hey, what's up? Let's, let's, let's solidify ties. I'll help you build this up. Here's what we're doing. It, it definitely varied by, I mean, it could, it could come down to even a personality. Like yeah. if there was somebody in one of these rural affiliates who was a more talented orator than, you know, some other province, then they could strengthen the membership of their individual Jacobin club and so on. Yeah. There are some really talent, talented orators that emerge from these clubs because oratory is like a very, new thing at this time i think we talked about it the last episode is that these you know you were used to a priest standing in a pulpit you weren't used to a dude standing on a table and that's new and that's novel and so people flock to it and then yeah. the culmination of ideals uh, and and this is my this is my my bailiwick is okay. that they're not they're not really that talented is again is that the first is people are just now hearing people for the first time like talk yeah. about these kind of things in languages that they can understand um yeah but they're really just youtubers yes it's just a bunch of dudes who like have their own like youtubers like papers yep. or little journals that they send around it was just like youtube shit where they just talk yep. about this house thing should be yep and <laughs> this is what i'm into i mean youtube yeah. would be like the modern stump yeah, but they were they. I mean, they would be on YouTube if if they could have, if they, yeah. you know, they could have been, but they they couldn't have been. So, yeah, and there's nothing wrong with being on YouTube. It's just it's just no, like man. it's just you know just trying to relocate it to what it is in the present. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And others, so so there are some really talented orators within the Jacobin clubs, and then others use extremism to compensate. Of this is where, like, from the Jacobin clubs is where you heart, you start to hear cries of like, "Hang the aristocrats!" Yeah, and just kind of this more emotionally fervid stuff that's like very radical and very extreme, and it'll get people to go, "Yeah, yeah," but it also pushes things in a particular direction. January of seventeen ninety one, 
the assembly forces all the clergy to take the oath of obedience to the civil constitution and about half of them refuse and if they refused oftentimes they would bring their parish with them and so now you've got hotbeds of discontent saying mm, we see what's happening but we don't like it we're loyal to the church kind of also and the king because the king secures the church so and we see the civil constitution of the clergy and we don't we don't like it we don't like what you guys are doing over there in paris there will be there are some towns though that when their priest does not decide to take that oath, they throw the priest out and we'll talk yes. about one of those towns later yeah yeah yes mm -hmm. this gets us into act two mutiny so marquis de mirabeau who had been president of the Jacobins Club in Paris since November, he splits with them over the issue of appointing select committees to prohibit, as they would call it, to regulate emigration. Yeah. And Mirabeau views them as trouncing the right of freedom of movement as secured by the Declaration of the Rights of Man. Yeah. As we talked about, Mirabeau is also conspiring to build a second locus of power outside of Paris, and it's it's getting harder for him to keep a lid on that fact. Yeah. He wanted to keep the monarchy, but also, like, like we talked about, integrate into like a working, balanced relationship with the legislative body. And then, all of a sudden, April 2nd of 1791, Mirabeau dies. So, at age 42, I believe. So, I think relatively young for an aristocrat of this time. Uh, some say that he was poisoned. I don't know. Uh, he had liver, stomach, and kidney issues right before he died, but also he was a dog. Like he was getting around. He liked to party. He did drink a lot and he yeah. did have sex with a lot, a lot of people. My money, my money, my money is on, on, on hoard too much <laughs> that he died. That's, that's how people used to die in 1791. Hoard too much. <laughs> they went down. You know, they, they went, went down, down. Blaze of glory. You know? swung that thing. Uh -huh. Until it was dislocated. To, yep. And you can't Sw dislocate that because that's <laughs> fine. So much they dislocated their hips. Yeah. You know, and just twisted twisted their lower half off as a result of inertia, as a exactly. matter of fact. So. You ain't never done it if you never twisted your whole hip off. All right. Your whole <laughs> All right. You know, the because of the gout, his ankles got so swollen they exploded and he just bled out, you know. I thought we I thought we were doing a sex thing, but that's that's not what that feels like anymore. <laughs> I, had, I had the other, I was back burning. I wanted to throw it out there. We're, well. we're too far down the road for you to throw. You know what? It's fine. April 18th of 1791, with the assembly's permission, so the National Assembly signs off on it, they relocate. I think they were at the Tuileries, I'm not sure. King and Queen, which Tuileries, it's like Tuileries Palace was destroyed yeah. in 1871. But it was like right next to the Louvre where the Tuileries de Gallen, uh, Garden is. Yeah. King and Queen, they want to relocate to St. Cloud, which is like a, I think like a 30 minute drive now from the Tuileries. So, like, not exactly Versailles, but a little bit out, uh, outside of the loop, so to speak. Yeah. And then the National Assembly signs off on it. Uh, but the National Guard won't let them leave. And they even go as so far as to threaten their leader, Lafayette, when 
he tried to clear a path for them. So Lafayette gets out in front of the National Guard, says, oh, this is the king and queen. They're relocating to St. Cloud. It's cool. The assembly signed off on it, and the National Guard, asserting their strength as a collective body, is saying, no, they're staying here. Yeah. So that, that being said, after April, you have June 20th and 21st, or the night of, is the flight to Varennes, as it's known. The royal family decide to leave France entirely. Uh, there's, I think Antoinette was talking to her brother, Emperor Leopold II, yeah. that they were going to link up on the Austrian border and Austria was going to take care of business. It was, they like take off and they're like in like this, like just like a German carriage. Mm-hmm. A bear, bear line. And like, which is a nice carriage. Yeah, but it's slow. It's slow, but also they're dressed as servants. Yeah. So why the fuck are two serve are these servants going and they go through and they 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 was they they stop for breakfast? Yep. At Chalon, they're on road. They stop for breakfast, which takes a while. It makes them miss their first handoff to an armed escort because yeah. the armed escort is waiting around. And then things get too hot for the armed escort to be there without things looking weird, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And so they're like, I got to leave before this looks suspicious. The royal family stops again at Varennes, where a mob had assembled, which is why it's called the flight to Varennes, because that's as far as they get. From, from my understanding, I forgot they get stopped by like some type of like guard guy. And he like looks at he's like, this makes no sense because they're dressed as servants. Yeah. And then that's, and then like, then he kind of like rings the alarm. The yeah. thing about Varennes that particularly that's interesting is Varennes is one of these towns that like when their priest decided not to take the oath, they yeah. threw their priest the fuck out of the town. <laughs> like it's a town that like has an active military. They have like two different companies of like their own like national mil- mm-hmm. militia. And they also like the towns around it. This is from the people's history, but has in the book. Um, also were like very good at sending troops to that town mm. so it was like the perfect militarized ass yeah. town that you did not want to be in that was like very anti-royal yeah and organized so they just luck of the draw yeah yeah the i've i read that the bear line that antoinette insists on it was the reason she does so is that it can accommodate the whole family and she doesn't want to leave the children at yeah. these admittedly scary ass times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it makes sense. No, it makes sense. But it's slower. And so going down the road, that's one of the reasons that they miss the handoff aside from stopping for breakfast, which yeah. admittedly pretty dumb. Yeah. But uh, there's like this episode at Varenne where I don't remember who it was. I think he was higher up might not have been as far as like who was in a position to stop them yeah and he sees but i think they were inside of someone's home when they were stopped i I don't know if they were eating or whatever he sees that it's louis the 16th and he's not dressed up but he's not dressed up as he should be and the guy registers that but he recognized him as the king and he instinctively like gets on a knee in front of louis the 16th And then Louis the Sixteenth, he recognizes that the the gig is up at this point, and he's like, "Ah, yes, I am your king." In the Jacobins, back in Paris, 
uh, Danton and Robespierre, two very prominent, very notable, two of the key Jacobins, mm -hmm. denounce Lafayette for letting them slip. They, they're throwing the finger at him. They're saying, you were in on this. You knew what they were doing, and you let it happen. Robespierre, in particular, saying that Lafayette would pay for this, uh, pay for this treachery with his head. And this is letting this it is, be known. This is like big dog, like <laughs> like posture and like type type shit. Yep. Like because yep. in the back of my mind, yeah. <laughs> it seems like they all kind of were in the same class together and all kind of kind of mildly yeah moved around Paris yeah. in the same kind of and they all like knew each other, but yeah they don't know that like I don't <laughs> yeah yeah I see what you're saying. So like they're just like yeah fuck you dude this is it let these fucking people go and that's gonna get me more power yeah and but at the same time like he did let them go yeah and he and Lafayette is like he's a little bit of a royal cuck a little bit a little yeah. bit of a simp a little bit of a simp for the crown let's yeah. be real but also I can see Robespierre being like oh, stupid stupid Lafayette used to pick on me on the playground yeah. He used to pick on me on the playground. I'll get, I'll get you, Lafayette. You just wait. You'll be mad that you, that you said I was too mechanical or what, whatever. You know, there's and a lot. Being like, it's a paranoid time. Yeah, and then coming, coming into it and being like, aha, gotcha. <laughs> you know, revenge is sweet. I heard a, I heard a rapper the other day say, "Get out your feelings and get in, get in, get in that bag." And I don't really think that that's a good saying for like life. And I think you should probably go to therapy and do things. But like, what's, what's the bag? What's money. The metaphor? It's money. Oh, mm, it's money. Okay. It doesn't really fit here, but I like it. Okay. It don't really fit in like what we're doing right now. I mean, I feel it's like Mir Mirabeau would fuck with that sentence. Mirabeau would fuck with that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> That's Mirabeau right there. The National Assembly, after the flight to Varennes, they assume executive power. They're like, this is ours now. You you left. You yeah. you quit. You defaulted on this, so you don't have any claim to this anymore. They get this hella hurt. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> their they're, National Assembly is now in charge of the ministers, and they start, it's not really a fiction. They 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 start basically saying that this was a a counter revolutionary royalist attempt to put the monarch to repudiate the revolution in its entirety. It Particularly, is. look at Antoinette, Marie Antoinette, Austrian attrition. She had been wheeling and dealing since since her emperor Joseph was on the throne. She had been interfering on his behalf. It's something I didn't get to talk about in the first episode, but yeah. there were a couple incidents where Emperor Joseph would do something and Marie Antoinette would be like, no, this is okay. Even though like the French aristocracy would be like, yeah, we should oppose Emperor Joseph on this. Well, that's what you, well, uh, also it's that's a family what, affair. You know? Yeah. That's what we married. You married yep. into this family, which I, yep. In no, like, uh, I'm pretty sure that the, uh, the it was a it was a popular. You guys are you aligned with this family? Now yeah. you're going to be allies with these guys. Yeah, but I understand. Like, and also like they're blaming the woman because you know, man, we've been toxic yeah. since forever. Yeah, <laughs> like but, he she ain't really got shit to do. Like she she's part of it, but like yeah, you don't think Louis is being like, hey. He's not he's not dragged along complicitly in this yeah. plot, 
Yeah. But, you know, they have been slinging a lot of mud since forever to where it enters a kind of dynamic relationship of like, was she scheming on the Austrians a half before French citizens were shitty to her or were French citizens shitty to her? And then she decided to scheme on the Austrians, you know, kind of this dynamic chicken I, or egg. I but would say like, they're not wrong in saying that Marie Antoinette was conspiring to remove them to Austria to get. Them. No, for sure she was. She yeah. was doing yeah. that, but but also that 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 kind of revokes her place. I'm saying her whole role in her marriage is as a Austrian envoy. Oh yeah. So like, yeah. What you think she's not gonna conspire? She's an Austrian yeah. envoy, basically. That's what she's there for. Yeah. You know? This is an open back channel. Yeah, I I thought you guys knew. You guys. Yeah, this is like what this <laughs> is. This, <laughs> like, this might be. This might only be new to you guys. You yeah. Know? Like, yeah, so, so, yeah, of course, like, if she, again, if I, I'm going with this one, if she leaves or if they leave, then they have now, there's a claim outside of the country for a, that, you know, that you can restore. Yeah. The ancient yeah. regime or the, yeah. the, the, the royal, you know, the king because it's, it's a rallying point. It's a rallying it's a, point. It's yeah. a, it's a mobile rallying point personified. That's why you always kill the kids. And yeah, that's why, that's why they did that in the, in the, in the Soviet Union. Yep, they wiped out everybody. It's the only way you can do because then there's no claim. There's, there's no, no claim, claim to the throne. No you claim to no the throne. You got to put that blood on the altar, man. You want to claim? Everybody who's claiming this throne is getting shot in the back of the head. Mm-hmm. Do you want to claim this throne? You want to claim it? You want it? You can have it. Like, yeah. So that's man. I got really intense right there. Yeah, man. But you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah. Okay. They if they want to, can't suppress the truth. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> July 17th, very next month, 1791, the Cordeliers Club, which I think is like a little bit further left than the Jacobins. Cordeliers circulates a petition demanding that the king be deposed. They take it to the Champ de Mar and they're collecting signatures from citizens in the area and agitating. National Guard comes by. They arrest two suspicious looking people. I don't remember how or why they look suspicious and they hang them publicly. There's about 50,000 demonstrators in the area yeah. who clash with the National Guard. And things escalate because the demonstrators throw rocks at the National Guard. National Guard, they've got guns. So guns beat rocks. Yeah. They fire on the crowd. And there's some dead bodies. Lafayette persuades uh, Bailey, the mayor of Paris, to declare martial law. The National Guard swoops in, cleans it up puts things down and it's one of these things that like helps prevent this slide into parisian anarchy but clearly things are becoming a little more unstable and you have lafayette there trying to hold everything together yep. and at some point <laughs> you can't hold it no more bitter. yeah <laughs> you we, we've, we've sniffed you out lafayette yeah. we know you're you we know you're royalist scum man you're trying to, you're trying to, you, should, you know, we, you've done things. You're trying to stop anarchy, but even yep. what you don't, what you don't understand about here, what you understand about what's going on right now, is we want anarchy. Yeah. I want that. You just gotta let it. You just gotta let it flow, man. You're standing in the way of progress, man. This is what well, we have to do. We have to tear down the old nation in order to rebuild, rebuild from the new, new it's soil. That, it's that Maoist. It always goes back to Mao, dog. You gotta tear down the old. You gotta destroy. You construct the new, man. Mm-hmm. You're standing in the way. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what you're doing. You think like you're trying to hold Phoenix. it together. Yeah. We will be reborn from the ashes. Yeah. Don't you understand? You're interfering with the innate cycle, bro. Like literally, people are saying that to him, and he's going, like, what the fuck <laughs> is going on? 
what? <laughs> like, I'm getting tired. I want, but he, yeah, he gets out okay, as we've we've talked about. Yeah. August of 1791. There's the Pilnitz Declaration. Pilnitz is I don't know if you if they'd call it a suburb. It's like a very small town outside of Dresden. I guess you could call it a suburb yeah. of Dresden. It's like Western Germany. It's an alliance between Emperor Leopold II of Austria and the traditional enemy of the Habsburgs of Austria, their traditional enemy being Hohenzollern Prussia. Prussia is Western Germany. Germany is not Germany quite yet. Prussia is just Western Germany, ruled by King Frederick William at this time. Uh, the Pilnitz Declaration between the Habsburgs and Prussia is declared specifically against the revolutionary government because they see all of this anti-monarchical sentiment as threat, uh, as a threat to their nations because it they're was. monarchies. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I mean, they know who their ops are. They see what's happening. Yeah. They yeah. See. <laughs> like, they're very aware. This is, this is, this can only, Pandora's box has been opened. We gotta, we gotta kill this idea or what, lest it ferment, uh, lest it germinate where we are. Ferment it's where we are. Real late for that. But that's a little bit, yeah. yeah. But they're gonna try. You know? Yeah. This is why yeah. September 13th, 1791, King Louis the Sixteenth accepts the constitution. I don't know if he had much of a choice after he tried to flee the country. He kind of had to do whatever. See that something see you see how you put that shotgun on me, yep, for protection at one time. See, I'll put that shotgun on you now. You see, you made this you made protection. this mistake. You 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 took a nap. Yeah. And uh, I picked it up, and now look who's on top, you know. Big what dogs. was weird about the him accepting the Constitution is that it's still pretty – it's it's okay towards him. It's still pretty favorable towards him. He's still commander-in-chief. He still, he still leads the army. Uh, the legislative assemblies that they were designing at that time were only open to landholders. King Louis XVI's ministers – could still defend legislation within those legislative bodies. So they still have the right to advocate on their own behalf. The king could also still appoint ambassadors. So they still spoke yeah. on his behalf. Pretty sure he still had a veto. So it's still, it's not quite untenable for him yet, which it's, is also like against his credit because he kind of, he does shit the bed a number of times. It's gonna ramp up. It's gonna ramp up here, because even at this time, at this time, it seems like nobody's. They still didn't want to like. They still didn't want to get. I feel like they were like close to getting rid of him. Like yeah. the people may have been thinking that, but like the yeah. people within the general, like the, the within the legislature, are just like. We're trying to still figure out, but it's about to ramp up here. Yeah, pretty quickly. It's funny <laughs> to think, even to the narrative that the french revolution was aristocratic modernization yeah of if these are even the third estate if they're still upper crust and they're willing to reform along the lines of like a rousseauian voltairean enlightenment american constitution they're still willing to reform in some senses that french monarchical tradition still holds very strongly perhaps in the unconscious to the majority of them are not still thinking of a nation without the king yeah you know and so it's like we can advocate for these legislative reforms 
and we can adopt as much liberalism as is warranted for our time, but not without the king still. So it's yeah. still like there's still this un, uh, un, uh, unrootable seed within them, you know, that's saying. Yeah. This gets us into Act 3, Commandeered. From October to December of 1791, King Louis XVI is beefing with the Legislative Assembly. They want him to issue a statement saying that some of the emigres, which are aristocrats who had escaped France, royalists, some of which are uh, agitating for invasion of France by like Austria, Prussia, wherever they had ended up, saying that the, the, the Legislative Assembly wants the emigres to return. And if they didn't, that meant forsaking not only their, the property that they held, but the property held by their families. So again, you see this, this land grab, this power grab by the yeah. legislative assembly. Yeah. Louis XVI vetoes it, but he also discourages the emigres from attempting any sort of in, uh, excursion against France itself. So he's kind of playing both sides. Is, is he's playing, yeah, he's playing both sides, saying like, he might be publicly saying, like, hey, yeah. no excursions. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No veto. Sure. <laughs> Wink, you know. Yeah, please <laughs> help me. <laughs> Late November, non-juring priests, which are priests that had not sw sworn an oath to the French nation, their uh, late November, their, their, their stipends are cut off. They're given eight days to come in compliance with the laws or be declared in conspiracy against the nation. December of 1791 the ministry begins requesting specie to pay for a war mobilization and it seems anomalous it seems weird it seems ill-advised to to issue a declaration of war as a revolutionary government at this time before you had you're on your knees right now you're trying to get on your own two feet yeah and stand and you're not even fully standing yet you're not even walking yet you're on your knees still and you're you're like to war you know but it makes sense if you think about it as like an ideological inevitability because there are these royalist emigres abroad yeah who have power and money and connections and are saying hey you guys should you guys should invade france and put the royal family back on the throne because this shit is crazy and i'm I'm worried that they're going to take all my stuff, understandably. However, from the extreme left, they're wrapped up in their own rhetoric. And they're saying, we are citizens. We are the oppressed. We stand for all of the oppressed. And we are all joined together under this yoke of oppression and should rise up against all of the upper class even if they're in a different country. So this is a class struggle. They're busting it wide open. They're, they're, they're kind of tearing down the borders of the nation and saying, we need to spread this as far as can be done. It's a, well, it's a reason why Karl, Karl Marx is, is, is publishes all the stuff out of Paris. Well, he's from his German, yep. but like that Paris is the heart of communism. Yeah. That's where yeah. communism kind of, you know, yeah. Marxism and you know all these things the ideas are in Paris so yeah yeah, it has a firm there's a lot of stuff that they're saying that's just like oh you guys are like yeah, close to communism 
Yep. And if my favorites are when they like, you'll read mm-hmm. these kind of opinions of these people at this time, and they'll have like these incredibly amazing like socialist ideas yeah. and then have this one fuck off like but at the same time hey we should keep the slaves in haiti <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah there were still some still some barriers to be broken down or they go the other way and there's like but then i believe i i believe that but also believe in a church of light yep and i believe in a light a light that light is undefined because they're just creating it's a just whole some thing deus, just some free will and ideas you know just raw experimentation what 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 will come from the pen what 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 will the ink provide you know what will be birthed from the ink you can you can definitely tell what writers had threesomes during this era okay fair enough yeah you can definitely tell who was really who was in the gardens having threesomes and you could tell who wasn't what what, what's what's the main split royalism versus uh sublimity no i'm just talking about the people who had like good lives uh-huh. And like just lived like a fun, they had like a fun existence, whether it be in that merchant class or the Aristotle class or whatever. Like they were just like, and they like women liked them at the time. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And you can tell the ones who didn't. They're the, they're the ones the, writing about the, the church, the church of light and the, the yeah, church the of light beings. And yeah. All sorts of, you know. And then oh, there were ones who were just talking about murdering people. Yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. They're definitely like, a, let's loosen things up. You you need to get laid, bro. You need to come. Yeah, you need to. Let me take. Let Mirabeau take you out. All right, but hey, brother, you need to date yourself. Yeah, man. How about you go to go on a date with yourself mm-hmm. and figure out we'll what's going on? Out. We'll yeah. take you at all the hot clubs. We'll we'll make it happen for you, man. We'll let you see the 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 Church of Light. Robespierre, in particular, and others in the Jacobin clubs are worried about uh, the war mobilization because they don't trust some of the officers in charge. Understandable. They suspect a royalist counter revolution. If we have this troop buildup, maybe one of these officers is going to say, Hey, we should march on Paris. And yeah. then we've got a larger problem on our, on our hands. And they're also not wrong because Marie Antoinette, she was at this time reporting on the French military buildup to an Austrian diplomat. So she she isn't not wrong. She's an envoy. Yeah. She is not like, like yeah, she's not your friend. She's, she's not your friend. She's not <laughs> exactly. Spring of 1792 is what Simon Shama describes as an average to mediocre grain harvest. So there's still food riots going on. Food supplies are stretched in the south. Riots continue. Now there's a problem in the colonies that disrupt the flow of sugar and coffee in particular to France, which causes further agitation. Depreciation of the Assignat drives prices insanely high. And again, grocery riots, food rises, destabilization generally. April 20th of 1792, this is the outbreak of war. Uh, French incursion into Belgium to fight about 50,000 Austrian troops there. It basically completely disintegrates and around the same time marat john paul marat another very notable journalist Mm -hmm. he blames currency speculation and the grain shortage on the aristocracy and particularly the bourgeoisie and he's able to kind of galvanize a rage of the people and say like maybe the reason that the war effort fell apart it's not only due to these food issues but due to an aristocratic plot behind all of this we've got internal saboteurs so it increases this atmosphere of paranoia. 
this is a point in like the revolution when I started to like look around. I'd be like, oh, these niggas for real are it's just it's just the hottest YouTubers in the country. Like it's just dudes who read some things, maybe they they have some type of education and like they're but they're just popping out the woodwork and being like, I got this idea and I'm saying some crazy shit. And then you'll be like, hey, hold on. (laughs) And not having to explain nothing. We should go kill people. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. And it's I think it's also having you know in Marat is Marat is the is like if it's like Joe Rogan just started telling people to like kill people. That's like literally I think so. It. I think John Paul Marat is the is the Joe Rogan of his time. Around this time, April of 1792, a little bit before you see the outbreak or the emergence of the sans culottes, which translates into without breaches. Yeah. This is a mixed bag of artisans, journalists and shopkeepers and intellectuals and some bourgeoisie you see i bet there was like a few lower class people within the sans culottes but the way simon shama tells it it was mostly your middle classes that became sans culottes they wear red bonnets and hats symbolizing their commitment to the new constitution they're basically an, an unofficial, unorganized fifth column for the Jacobins. Yeah. Uh, they don't really have a unified agenda. They're like, they lean Jacobins, they lean towards the left, obviously. They want government regulation of grain, currency to be expect, uh, accepted at its face value, and the death penalty for those suspected of hoarding or speculating grain. Yeah. Saint Coulot, I think it means like without. Like the breeches, they're yep. without the breeches are like the weird, like skirt yeah. pants that they used yeah. to wear it back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of those are silk or they're made out of silk, and yeah, they they also wear the red hats, these like these, uh, was they called the Phygerian hats, Phygerian mm-hmm. cap, Phrygian, which like I think Phryg- oh, Phrygian, Phrygian, which is uh worn by uh, people in Rome. To let yeah. people know that hey, that I, that I am a free man, just in Republican yeah. Rome, is yeah. specifically given to slaves who had just been freed. Um, so it was like super symbolically, yeah. but also like the without breaches and like you know the Saint Culottes are popular in Paris. Yeah, I think they're very. I, I think they the, they're across the country, right? They like yeah, have, they, yeah. there are other pockets that merge up. There are pockets, but then there's places like there's places like Lyon that don't fuck with that they have there's a little bit more counter-revolutionary element yeah. there because the silk manufacturers yes yeah. and here you have these people saying without silk breaches yeah basically saying fuck fuck leon fuck leon fuck this- fuck the bourgeoisie the bourgeois liberal class anybody who's doing a fuck the manufacturers yeah fuck the industrializers and Leon was over here just making money off all the they they made they made money off rich people because they like they, right. so they they was their silk industry was in who do you think weaved your silly little hats yeah and they're just like angry like leon is of course there's different you know elements within leon but that's a whole different story about leon that we don't have to get we'll we'll, we'll get there the next episode we'll see how that one how that 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 particular beef plays out there's gonna be some uprise there's gonna be some counter-revolutionary activity coming up a little bit and then counter 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 counter, 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 there's gonna be a lot of countering a lot of countering 
June 12th, 1792, three measures are passed by the National Assembly. Uh, Louis XVI to dismiss his guard at the Tuileries Palace where they were staying. The refractory peace, uh, priests, which were the ones who had not sworn an oath, they were to be banished from France and a camp of 20,000 National Guardsmen to be set up within Paris itself. Louis XVI vetoes the latter two. So he does dismiss his guard at the Tuileries. That's the only thing he does. He also, unfortunately for him, dismisses the prime minister at the time and his cabinet, who was loved by Parisians, at least. Let me say that, which is the important thing. Because on June 20th, 1792, uh, various groups, two groups, I think, decide to plant a liberty tree in the Tuileries as an act of protest against the dismissal of the ministry. These two groups converge and they descend on the Tuileries palace. They denounce the vetoes and ask him to reverse it. And they're, they, you know, wave a bunch of like mini guillotines yeah. in front of the queen's face itself. So they get very personal about this. Jerome Petion, the mayor of Paris at the time, he persuades this mob to leave their petitions of support for the monarchy issued by the sections because there i think there's like 43 paris sections which are just local ways of chopping paris up i'm not sure exactly what they were in charge of but the petitions again uh, for the monarchy or at the very least against the mob action are issued to the national assembly from the paris sections so uh they're divided. The I want to say the left broadly is divided. The Jacobin, the government, the National Assembly is divided about how it feels about these increasing public demonstrations and the influence that they're ha- having on politics. June 28th of 1792, Lafayette himself appears before the na- uh, Legislative Assembly. After this, he asked for the banning of petitions, the closing of the clubs, including the Jacobins and the suppression of the press. So basically for kind of like a, I I read it that he was like basically trying to start his own coup and trying to rein all these elements in and trying to tamper everything down. And that's when the rest of the legislative assembly goes, aha. Yeah. You are in conspiracy against the or You're not unmoved by ambition. Yeah. Mr. Lafayette, golden boy of the Fête de la Fédération. Yeah. We got we got you, sir. And then he's like, ah, well, <laughs> I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to go true. back and, and fight the war and do my duty for my country and the French nation. And then he ends up in Olmutz prison in Chechen, which you could argue that he he's an emigre, not in those exact words but he he messed up and he saw that he messed up and he was like let me take my chances in a foreign prison because i might get killed here yeah let me wait let me wait this out you know yeah not necessarily the hero of two worlds as he's always been portrayed to be or as we've portrayed him to be as a matter of fact it's not my fault it's not my fault source never mind okay don't worry about it you're going you're spiraling though all right july (laughs) 1792, there's a changing board going on in Paris. There's moves on the chessboard. Danton, Camille Desmoulins, Maximilien Robespierre are consolidating power 
uh, Danton, he builds up in uh, a popular military force, kind of making a composite out of volunteer volunteers from the rural branches of the Jacobins, some sans culottes, some sympathetic National Guardsmen. Meanwhile, the king is bringing in more federes, which are French, uh, sorry, Swiss troops into Paris. So there's just a buildup on both sides. August 3rd of 1972, you have the Brunswick Manifesto. It was written by Emigre Marquis de Limon, which asked the French people to rise up against their oppressors. And because it's written by an emigre, what they mean is to rise up against the revolutionary government. Yeah. And it threatened very violent subjugation, I believe, by the Prussians, because I'm not sure. I think Brunswick, I think it was the Duke of Brunswick who issued the mm -hmm. manifesto and he was a prussian general and so he was basically saying if you guys don't overthrow the revolutionary government right now if the revolutionary government doesn't capitulate i'm gonna come in there and i'm gonna i'm gonna shut it down for you yeah you know yeah this is that and time this, this is that time before like when a war is happening like when uh, ukraine and when ukraine and russia didn't people thought america was about to go to war in ukraine yeah for a little bit it's yeah. like that there's a lot of whispers going on yeah, yeah, a lot of people just, yeah, same things. Yeah. But this in Paris lit the keg yeah. because the Jacobins and the revolutionary government generally knew that retaliation or at least thought retaliation was imminent. So, that being said, they might as well escalate the situation and meet the challenge. And there's a big shakeup in Paris itself. There are desertions from the National Guard, like the National Guard itself is split. And so on August 10th of 1792, there's a riot at the Tuileries Palace. There's a clash between the people and the royalist forces. I actually read that Louis XVI, he commands the Federes, the Swiss troops, to not fire or to stand down at some point. And then they're swarmed by the mob and very violently mutilated. I'm not going to get into a lot of the detail, but yeah, very, very violently mutilated. Like the people des descend on let's, the Swiss guards and and tear them to pieces, quite literally. Let's uh, let's let's put it this way: these are people who know how to butcher a hog, butcher a hog, and butcher a chicken. Learned in the arts. Yeah, they're very familiar with that. yeah <laughs> with that style of uh, butchery. Butchery. <laughs> yeah. The after the riot which comes out like a triumph for the revolutionary government and a further relegation of the king and the monarchy the constituent assembly is to begin work on another constitution stripping the king and the monarchy of some of his power which he had under the former constitution so they're re-engaging in nation building renegotiating their identity uh, an insurrectionary commune is set up at the hotel de ville gives orders to the uh, new National Guard. I don't know if they're quite that new, but they're new under this government. They establish a military tribunal responsible for carrying out punishment of the conspirators of the Royalist plot of August 10th. So they frame it in terms of, oh, well, the king was about to launch a coup against us and yeah. break out civil war against us when the way Simon Shama tells it at the very least is that they were the ones who were plotting to take over the government on August 10th. And they're just kind of projecting their own scheme onto the other side and using that as a pretext for a purge. Well, then also that I would, I would argue that they think that they're, they think that this is, they think that the other side is doing that also. 
Yeah, they are. They are. There's paranoia. It's a lot of paranoia going on. Yeah, they're it's not wrong. Paranoia. Neither yeah. side is really wrong. They're, they're, on, like yeah. what was going on. It's just that August 10th and Jacobins and the Revolutionary Government, the people did it first, and yeah. then they did the purge that the other side would have done if it did the coup first, but it didn't. Everybody you know? has bad intentions here. <laughs> <laughs> there's no good guys. Yeah, don't, there's no. Don't there's look no for the good guys. In, innocence is gone. Gone. It's not feasible in, yeah. in this no, no. situation comité de surveillance uh the committee committee of surveillance it could arrest and detain and interrogate suspects without due process so we're just rounding up counter protests of june 20th and shutting down all of the royalist presses the third week of august 1792 a guillotine is set up in the Tuileries Garden. The first victim of the guillotine is Louis Collot d'Angremont, a National Guard secretary and administrator accused of taking part in this royalist conspiracy of August 10th. Uh, and the public is encouraged to watch the spectacle because what a sight. I mean, it's just for a little bit of guillotine history, uh, invented by Dr. Joseph Guillotine. The, the, also the man who recommended the, the tennis courts to, to meet yep. for the famous t- tennis court oath. Um, he, he, he created the guillotine because other execution styles were too brutal, which yep. I heard of that. And I was like, oh, that's funny. That's funny that it's, yeah. it's getting your yeah. head chopped off. That's yeah, that's not. And then that's I read clean. a little bit more. Yeah. About what the, about some of the ways they <laughs> would take people out and can give me the guillotine, Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. We're gonna get yeah, we're gonna get some we're gonna get to uh something called the the bathtub of France. Mm-hmm. And the national baths. Yeah, the national, yeah. Fruit is bad. Yeah, it gets bad. It's bad. <laughs> bad time. It gets bad, but this is yeah, it, it's funny to think because like you said, we do think of it as like, oh, how brutal the guillotine you know one of the most brutal instruments but it was actually yeah. invented especially with this like enlightenment ideal of efficiency quick. behind it it's quick you know it gets it done real quick and then we yeah. drag off the we drag off the body and we slap another one down on the platform and raise the little thing up and let it drop again and you know this isn't the i would get the hands clapping guillotine over that tub uh if you understand what i'm saying because yeah. i'll take showers from now on let's put it that yeah. way that's how yeah yeah, I'll do the guillotine. It yeah. seems, if anything, just to experience the few seconds of bodilessness, that would be that would be sublime. You know what I mean? Just to get to be a disincorporated head for even for a few seconds, just to be like to try to have sensation but not be able to, or maybe you do retain it. I don't know, man. You know what I mean? Just no, for a few seconds. To no, know. I've never thought about that or wanted to think about that. <laughs> and guys, that's been part two. <laughs> we got more heads. We, we got more heads, heads. Heads. Heads will roll in in part three because the commune, the Paris commune, who's like the primary organizer of the coup, they're now on top. Yeah. Like the National Assembly tried to take them down, tried to be like, this was an insurrection. And the Paris Commune said it denounced their denouncement and yeah. said, you're against the nation and like employed that rhetoric. And then the assembly fell into line. So now yeah. you've got the Paris Commune acting as the executive branch. Yeah. And we'll yeah. see how it shakes out because, you know, I'm excited to see how 
part three comes because part one to part three, we're talking about very, very different things. Yeah. The, the, the death rate, the death rate is going to, um, the violent death rate is going to increase. Yes. The, the starvation death rate, the death rate of people starving and dying. It's all, it's, you know, we acknowledge that, but the, uh, yeah, it's been, it's a pretty steady pace, but as far as violent deaths it's gonna get yeah it's gonna get it's gonna it's gonna get sticky we'll, we'll go on, on the yeah. on the <laughs> on the next episode of hard fight history guys we want to thank you for listening um uh you can find us at hard for history on youtube facebook instagram twitter hfh podcast on twitter actually yes um you can find me at joshua b stokes on instagram and twitter uh henry where can they find you at I'm just Henry E. Price on Instagram. And if you want to follow the business, that is Blush Blush Daisy on uh, on Instagram as well. Guys, buy, we- buy a girl some cute stuff or buy some cute stuff for yourself or buy your partner some cute stuff, whatever, whatever you feel. It's, it's all the it's, same to us. It's all, it, it's all dollars. It is real fire. It is fire. It is fire. And, and the ladies do, do love it. And the ladies do love it. She's brilliant. All right. Well, you know, uh, check them out. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, we love you. We'll see you next time. And God bless. That's right. God bless us all. All of us. All bless us. Okay. All right.